Bible has been around, read, adjusted, and interacted with for literally ages. Greg has read it so you don't have to, and now births into the world, Better Bible. Before we begin, as you will be listening to a retelling of Bible, please note that trigger warnings are in place for racism, xenophobia, violence, sexual assault, rape, child abuse, incest, animal cruelty, and more. Welcome to A Better Bible. So last time we were all together, we were essentially running through a list of loads of kings and pointing out that they were all pricks. Well, welcome to the second book and guess what? More kings being pricks. And some odd Elijah and Elijah stuff. And and a lost book. Oh, okay, right, it gets a tad more tricky than simply a list. But anyway, let's get going, shall we? We open with Ahab being dead and Mohad rebelling against Israel. You remember Ahab, don't you? He was the turbo bellend from the last episode. Like, total wrongen. Well, he's dead, so I guess that's an early hooray? Then we have someone falling through a roof or something and wanting one of their helpers to talk to Beelzebub to see if he would recover from falling through the roof. And I I get it, right? This is a lot of information. Well, that's just the problem, isn't it, right? With Kings 2, it's a lot of stuff with precious little actual information. But the point is, some injured guy asks for advice from a spiritual being who isn't God and God is pissed. Well, technically, it's the angel of the Lord that's pissed, but potato, potato. The angel of the Lord, feeling all kinds of put out by this, tells the man he would defo die. God tells Elijah to tell this guy, name isn't important, but as the current king, I reckon. Elijah had the mission of telling him he will die, mainly because he checked in with the wrong God. This will set a precedent for the whole book. Every king who checks in with bad God gets got. The king is understandably grumpy at the messenger for saying this, and sends 50 armed men out to have a word with Elijah. Elijah orders fire to come down from the sky and kill them all, and it promptly does. Another 50 men turn up, fire burning by by time all over again, and then a third time. Third time, 50 men all show respect or are scared of Elijah, and as a result of being fearful, Elijah is a little bit friendly with them. The 50 men are promptly sent back to the king to tell them he will die, Elijah was right, and they do, and then he does end. That's the opening of the book. Let's get on to the next one. Okay, so, Elijah was getting ready to go to heaven because of imminent death, right? So, Elijah and Elijah are walking about. It's pretty much the same name, right? And I might be mispronouncing it. I am mispronouncing it, but I'm pronouncing them as exactly the same name, right? So, the... This is what comes from audiobooking and not book booking, right? The person reading the audiobook was slurring a little, so these names, for all intents and purposes, are the same. But anyway, one of them, the older one I assume, is gonna die. Anyway, they both go to Jericho. Everyone asks one of them if he knows that God will be killing the other one of them, which he does. So they head to the River Jordan. We get a shit sea parting event. After they unimpressively pass through the sea, Elijah asks Elijah if there is anything he wants from Elijah before Elijah dies, presumably hoping he can magic a kitten or something, give him a coupon for Pizza Express or whatever, but Elijah asks for a bit of Elijah's spirit. Bigger ask than expected, that, but 
before he has a chance to answer, a fire chariot appears from the sky and whooshes him off to heaven. Elijah was a little scared by this, but Elijah has now gone, so Elijah does some crying, tears his garment in two, turns out there was sackcloth underneath it, or he puts on sackcloth or something like that. I'm not sure what sackcloth is, but I imagine it's that sort of cloth used for sacks. So scared, crying Elijah, right? asks where God is. He then parts the Jordan again and fucks off back to Jericho. That's right, the parting of the Red Sea ages ago back in Genesis was a really big deal and it took ages and everyone was going, wow, look at what you've done, Moses, you're top. But this one is just parting the Jordan left, right and fucking centre. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, the rain stops. There's like a famine and a drought and everything is crazy until Elijah decides to fuck that noise and just turns it back on. Which people understand as him having received the spirit of Elijah. This is like passing the mantle. This is literally passing the mantle because when Elijah flew off to heaven, his mantle, which is like a, a cape, I think, fell onto smaller Elijah. So Elijah with mantle, having the mantle being passed on, now has the spirit because he made droughts go away. So he promptly fucks off to Bethel. On his way to Bethel, he comes across a couple of children who, right, get this, start yelling at him, saying, get out of here, Baldy. A tad childish, perhaps, but as they are both children, I guess totally appropriate. But our boy's not having any of this and decides to deal with it in the most Bible way he can. He magics two bears to turn up out of a nearby wood and they proceed to maul the children to death. And that, dear listeners, is how you do it. He then goes to a caramel mountain and onto Samaria. Next, we have an evil king. Like I say, most all of the kings that will be listed here. Some I'll remember the names of, uh, like this fella, Jarob. Uh, some of which I'll get the names wrong, like this fella, Jarob. Uh, some I won't have caught the names, but all you need to know is that they're all massive tools. Jarob, however, is only a pseudo-prick, as he's evil, proper evil. But, Bible does point out that he's not quite as bad as Ahab. So that's, that's something at least. So whilst this guy is king, we learn about Misha, who is the king of Moab. Now he used to give Israel, or Judah, or whichever one it is, loads and loads of sheep. But on account of Jorah being a bell, this has stopped. Jobby is obviously furious at this and marches through the desert with the express intention of fighting and vanquishing the Moab man. Whilst in the desert, as is traditional, they get hot, hungry, and thirsty terrified that God is now against Israel, which he kind of is and kind of isn't, it's hard to keep up with what emotion God is feeling toward Israel at any given time, but due to fear of this, they decide to ask a prophet if God is mad. Elijah, little Elijah from earlier, answers this via a harp, kind of, and, and says that the kings will not see wind or rain, but the valley will be full of water, and I think this is good news, so the weather will continue being impenetrably awful, but they will happen upon a job load of water, if you will, an oasis, because presumably God hates Moab even more than he hates Israel. Then right, there's a plume of smoke above the Israel army, so when the Moab army sees this, they just assume that God's good good people must have started infighting and just killing one another, which isn't an unreasonable assumption, but with this very optimistic, but reasonable assumption, they relax and end up getting absolutely slaughtered. 
Now we take a bit of a break from hearing about dickhead kings being dickheads and hear a few stories about the prophet Elijah definitely not being a dickhead. He's pretty much just bumming about being God's vessel and keeping himself entertained as the world burns around him. The first story we get is someone's wife is screaming and yelling at Elijah. Apparently her husband is dead and her kids are going to be taken as slaves. She has no money and needs to pay off some huge debt her useless dead husband left them in before he died like a selfish dead cat, like a selfish dead prick. If she can't pay, the children will be taken as slaves, right? This would be far from an optimal outcome, so Elijah, in a typically long way round deal, tells her that there's a pipe gushing limitless olive oil for a bit and she is to go around town getting everyone to give her whatever spare jars they have. She gets them, buys them, borrows them and she acquires through all these means one metric fuck ton of jars. Each of these jars is promptly then filled with the magic olive oil. Once all jars are filled, the oil stops, disappears or something. The widow can then use the oil to pay off her debt, meaning her kids don't go get themselves made slaves, because it would have been their own fault. And with the excess oil, she can sell it and just live quite comfortably for the rest of her life. That's it. That's the whole oil story. On to the next one. There is a rich woman who recognises Elijah and makes up a room for him in her house. Uh, she says whenever he needs somewhere to crash, the room's his. Elijah, while impressed, and says he will sort out anything for her. Now she's old, wants a child, Elijah says next year you'll have one. She says give over, you know, the, the usual, and lo and behold, Right, She has a child, but whoopsie, the fella only goes and dies, doesn't he? She gets in touch with Elijah, who comes to see the kid. D the dead kid, right? And he's in the bed, the same bed that was given to Elijah, right? He's in Elijah's bed, dead. So Elijah puts his staff to the child's face, then then lays on the child, mouth to mouth, to, to warm the boy up. He does this a couple of times, and the boy sneezes seven times and comes back to life. Now, were you as uncomfortable hearing that as I was saying it. It feels super fucking creepy, doesn't it? That uh, then Elijah goes to a famine place and magic's food. Right, it's a lot. Elijah is basically godlike, but creepy and will lay on dead children. Elijah then cures a leper or something and an army comes against him but he makes everyone blind and blah 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 blah. A woman's son gets eaten because of a famine, uh, some people get trampled to death, it, Elijah's just going around being a man of God, destroying pricks without seeming to put much thought or effort into any of it. It's kind of brutal, kind of boring, which is a mix that Bible is very proficient at. You remember Elijah was creepy and brought the child back to life with his magic staff and kissing. I mean, when you say it like that. Anyway, anyway, right, right. Time passes. He returns to them and tells them to get fuck out of Dodge for a while to avoid a famine. They need to be gone for about seven years. The woman unquestioningly does leave and seven years elapse, she returns. Now, as she left her house and land unoccupied for seven years, I, I guess it went to the king as she finds herself home to ask for it back. But this isn't really an issue, as the king just says, sure thing, doll, straight away. Now we get a few more kings, and with each king we learn about a new war, a new battle, and God's chosen people are slowly, actually quite 
quickly, losing more and more of their kingdom. They have a war, they have a battle, a bit of their land is taken from them over and over. But in amongst all of this, Elijah tells a fellow called Nimshai to grab some oil and anoint Jehu as king of Israel. This fellow is going to destroy the house of Ahab, the biggest bastard that ever did live. As well as to destroy Ahab house, uh, he will slaughter every man and child in the house of Ahab, every free man and every slave, because they haven't had a shitty enough time, presumably. And remember Jezebel, right? Holy shit, she is going to be brutalized. Ate by dogs so no one can recognize her, and defo not buried. Uh, Jehu then, same chapter, goes and does all of this. Kings being slaughtered, massacre left, right and centre, and Jezebel thrown out of a window, gets crushed to death, then eaten by those dogs that were foretold all of about two sentences ago. It's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible death. And I, for one, suspect it may be a slight overreaction. But Bible's gonna Bible, I guess. As a result of all this, despite being a tasty chocolate drink, everyone is terrified of Jehu because, you know, he does things like ordering 70 princes' heads to be severed and piling them outside of his town. So this brutal murderer, who, lest we forget, is a goodie, this is one of the ones God does not think is evil. He tricks all the worshippers of Baal, saying, Hey, come, come into this temple and have a big old worship of your God, who is the best God. We love your God, and we encourage you to worship your God. And they all, foolishly, toddle along, not suspecting a goddamn thing, and start their heathen prayers. Only to find that the temple then gets locked and they get burnt alive. Then their worship place is destroyed, and to add insult to injury, turned into a toilet. Marvellous. Then God admits that Yahu is slightly evil, but not too, too evil. So his descendants are going to be looked after. God's pretty chill. The first time in ages God has shown any chill. Now we return to a long list of kings being evil. Everyone's a prick until Joash, who God kind of likes a little bit, as kind of. He sets up the first church roof fund, raising money to try and fix the temple. Right, it's implied that the priests are stealing the money as they keep raising funds and nothing gets done, but this can't be it because no one seems to care and it's brushed under the carpet. Then the temple does start to be fixed up a bit, but not with the money the priests have, but it must be. Is this the only money knocking about? Right, if I'm honest, I'm confused by the money priest thing, but I think priest bad money good. More bullshit kings then. The chronology definitely seems fucked at this stage, as Ahab was destroyed a while back, but the house of Ahab gets destroyed again by Elijah shooting an arrow, and where the arrow lands, that's where Ahab will be destroyed, even though it's already happened. And next up is an okay king, I think, and Joash's son, or something. Right, He does alright, apart from a few murdered children, but we all slip up from time to time. Yeah, a lot of the other gods that are worshipped seem to involve child sacrifice at the moment. This keeps coming up sporadically uh, when pointing out how evil the kings are. So I suppose at the very least God is not cool with child sacrifice. At, at the moment. I mean he has previously been really cool with it and later on again he'll be quite comfortable with child sacrifice. But right now child sacrifice is a no-no. All these evil kings, this is doing the same job as the genealogy breaks earlier earlier in Bible, isn't it, right? It's just filling up a timeline and finishing each one by saying, and all the stuff they did is written elsewhere, so go read it there if you want any fucking information. All you need to know right now is that they are balance, which still greatly amuses me. 
evil, evil, evil until O'Shea. Still evil, uh, but this is where the Assyrian Empire is getting ready to totally destroy Jerusalem. Because Israel is worshipping the wrong gods, the Assyrian Empire is able to fuck them over. We are in no doubt that the Assyrian Empire has dual-wielding roles as both the definite enemy and baddie of the peace, and a justifiable punishment for those naughty, naughty people of God. God, at this point, full-on removes Israel from his presence. This is a big deal as God totally turns his back on Israel, leaves them entirely. It's a lost cause right now. God is no longer in the house, and shit is getting bleak. But then, out of nowhere, we get King Hazekah, who is with God and pretty much as loyal as David, or as loyal as a revisionist version of David, the Bible seems content to run with. God sim suddenly changes his tune and goes, or oh, maybe I overreacted. You're still going to be destroyed, but destroyed with me reluctantly on your side instead of abandoning you. Hezekiah turns against Assyria and, okay, right, this doesn't work out too well, the rebellion gets screwed and he ends up begging the king of Assyria to not destroy him and his people, so the Assyrian king takes all the gold and wealthy stuff, the newly finished temple is once again destroyed and telling Hazi that his god must be a little bitch to keep letting this happen. Amazingly, God doesn't get upset with this and continues, evidently, being a little bitch. With so much death and destruction, Hazi goes mental, rips his clothes in half and wears sackcloth, you know, the same as Elijah did earlier on, right? Hazi does the same thing. He begs God to help him and Isaiah, another prophet in it, lets him know that God will take care of things. That some points. We now get some prophecy poetry about how the Assyrian Empire will fall, again, at some point, not right now, obviously. The king will get hooked through his nose, fingers in his mouth, it'll be weird and painful for him. The angel of the Lord then gives a taster of this destruction of the Assyrian Empire by murdering about 200,000 Assyrians. Just like that. Tasty. Hazi starts getting ill and God does a charming bit of flip-flop chat. He starts by telling him he is going to die. There is nothing that no one can do to stop him. He's going to die instantly. His time's come. Death is imminent. But then, I think someone says, please. And at this, God says, mm, okay, 15 more years. You have 15 years and then you'll die. When I said imminently, I meant imminent 50, which is, like, I meant that all wrong and I wasn't actually uh, wrong. If you were listening properly, Isaiah tells him everything will be going to Babylon. Everyone will be eunuchs. And I know I'm rushing through this. There's, there's a lot of stuff to get through and we need to bring this book to a close. But more kings, evil 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 then we get Josiah and get this right he finds the book of the law like the, the Moses one I had no fucking idea it was lost this explains everything has this book been lost all this time no bloody wonder all these kings were evil and come on we had to read through two entire books about evil kings where the reason was simply that they didn't know what they were doing and they thought what they were doing was the right thing because no one told them it was wrong what what they should have been doing was kept hidden from them now that they have their rule book again they'll all be plain sailing the king does good trying to make everything correct again uh, gets rid of prostitutes and evil haberdashery stops straight away gets rid of all them chariots and the statues stops murdering children sets everything right it's like the last 20 minutes of bruce almighty god obviously remains angry because of all the stuff israel and judah and jerusalem did potentially accidentally so jerusalem will be forgotten by god left to fall like a fucking stone Josiah gets murdered by a gecko or something then there's a couple more bell end kings until we get to hear about nebuchadnezzar 
king of Babylon that fucks over all God's people. Nebo seems to be God's wrath, fucking all of these people for having so many evil kings for the last two books. All prominent people are taken captive, loads of people are murdered, we're slapped bang in the middle of the fall of Jerusalem right now. Babylonians kill the king's people, capture the king, sack the city, fuck the temple, well what's left of it, the whole damn place is raised to the ground. A governor is put in charge of Judah, he gets assassinated, and we end with God's people who are still left alive fucking off to Egypt for sanctuary. And then finally, Jehoiachin is released by the king of Babylon and kind of left to it. That's the end of the saga of kings, right? It's a combination of brutality and boredom, a history of all the kings of Israel and Judah, and everyone ends up back in Egypt, like at the end of Genesis. What a tremendous waste of everyone's time and money.